Welcome to the FMCG podcast. Make sure you're following us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and leave us a five-star review. It really helps us out. Enjoy the show. Hi, my name is Rich and we're Consumer Hub and this is the FMCG podcast where we speak to leaders within the food and drink industry and hear their category insights into product and channel, but also their insights into leadership within FMCG. We're really excited to have Liam on the show today from Love Raw. We absolutely love their products and Liam is going to be getting into their story and also his story today. Liam, thanks for coming on the show. It's great to have you. Just tell us a bit about you and what you're doing at Love Raw. Just give us an intro, that'd be really good for everybody to understand. Hi, yes, good morning, and uh, thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, so um, kind of quick overview of my story. Um, firstly, I probably fell into sales, to be honest, uh, and so where I am today wasn't really my original career ambition, and um, my original goal was to move into uh, sort of like sports nutrition. Um, that was my passion growing up, so I studied that at, uh, at university, and my, my head was at, right, this is where I want to go. Um, so I did a season working in football. Um, I saw the back office at uh, Shrewsbury uh, in the sports medicine team and, and kind of quickly realized that in that team sport sector was not really for me, just too many personality clashes. Um, and then a job came up at Testo uh, for a sports nutritionist. So I thought, oh, wow, this sounds right up my street. Um, so relocated down to Midlands uh, to work in um, the store in Dudley. Um, it was for a business called NutriCenter, which at the time was one of the Tesco and businesses. And um, absolutely loved it. It was incredible. Um, and I had the opportunity to go from a store level, um, essentially selling supplements and speaking to customers and getting yes. their ambitions um, to head off this level. So at that time, I was then trying to and shape the strategy of the category uh, with the brands that I was then buying into to be on the shelf and and got to know one brand very well, which is Grenade. And um, from seeing their products in store to how they um, impact the sort of customer level, it's very different. And I hate to use the word game changer, but in that category at the time, it genuinely was. Yeah. Um, and my, my role at NutriCenter was unfortunately made redundant. So I then I then ended up working for Grenade, and that was like my dream job. I I couldn't have asked for a better role to be honest. Um, the team was fantastic, and um, Juliet, who was one of the co-founders there, um, in some of my first interviews, like I want you to think of uh, convenience, and um, I remember sitting there thinking, yeah, I think it's a I think it's a good thing, and in my head I was thinking, does she mean this or does she mean that? And I thought, you know what, like, let's just go for it because I'm here and I'm not, you know, I'm not going to fail. Um, so then I quickly learned what convenience was and what it was all about. You know, it was my first experience as a, sort of on a supplier side, really. Um, and absolutely loved it. Over four and a half years I was there. I like to think I got to know the industry very, very well. Um, and, you know, we, we, we had a great time doing what we were doing. Um, Kind of spearheading the growth of that protein bar category and convenience um got it up to you know multi-million pound um revenue over that time at the height we had about 79 percent market share in sort of that petrol forecourt industry mm. um which is you know pretty much unheard of um 
and loads of fantastic achievements that we got. You know, the first protein bar we launched into, into Marks and Spencers, uh, first protein bar that we launched into Costa Coffee. Um, so all these accolades that we achieved were, were phenomenal. Um, but sort of towards the end of my time there, it was during the pandemic and, and we moved um, from an office-based environment to working from home. And my role changed, unfortunately, to, I say unfortunately now, looking back to a, to a food service role. And that was right at the time the pandemic hit when that channel pretty much shut down. And um, so it led to, you know, a bit of frustration because you're thinking, oh, God, you know, I can't, can't do what I'm really good at. Um, and I thought on reflection, I pretty much ran my race in terms of what I can do at Grenade. Um, and Juliet, one of the co-founders who I mentioned earlier, Grenade, was a non-exec director here at Love Rob. Um, so I had the opportunity to come and meet the guys here and um, understand a bit more about what they're doing, what their ambition was. And there's so many similarities to that kind of first interview that I had at Grenade. Nice. Like you just got the sense that something was bubbling. Do you know what convenience so... was this time though? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Eat my poker face though, you know. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, so I joined I joined the business here in August 2020. And yeah, it, it was a smaller business in terms of the scale of what we were doing than the time I joined Grenade. Um, but it had so many of the credentials and you know ingredients of success that Grenade had. So now I've been here for nearly three years. It's it's been a, such a great journey because we've achieved so much, but there's still so much to do. Um, and this category that we're we're playing in is is exciting. It's vibrant, um, and it is going places. And you know it'd be amazing if it got to the heights of the protein bar category. Um, which I do genuinely believe it will, but it's not without, you know, hard work and dedication. So yeah, that's kind of my story to, to where I am today. So yeah, circumstance and, uh, relationships really get you here. And what, what about, um, Love Raw itself? Can you give us a bit of a, a window into, to their story as well? And, uh, kind of the journey they've been on, because obviously you've come in at, at this point, be great yeah. understand where they've come from, what, what the actual product concept is and, you know, what's all about. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so we started in 2013. Um, so last week was our 10th birthday, um, which coincidentally was the same week as one of our founders' 40th birthdays. Um, so I'm, I'm sure that he, uh, I'm sure he got the certificate of incorporation just to make sure that <laughs> he was 40 on the 10th birthday. Um, but we, so we haven't done, um, chocolate is, is relatively new in our journey. Um, from 2013 up to around 2018, um, it was sort of superfood powders, um, yeah, yeah. and sort of like cold press, um, fruit and seed bars. And then we, we, we actually get like an alternative milk, um, made with almond milk. Um, but then we, we were thinking, right, what is our identity? You now, what do we, what do we stand for as, as a brand? Because we're performing in several categories, putting quality at the forefront of what we do, but what do consumers know us for? Um, and at that time, Remy's father um, fell ill um, and sadly, shortly later, passed away. Um, but it gave Remy uh, a time of reflection, really, to think around what's important to her and health and nutrition was at the forefront. Um, and she followed a plant-based diet. 
and she wanted to essentially create a, a, a chocolate that she could really enjoy um, and create it in her kitchen um, through many different trials and tribulations, a, a peanut butter cup, um, different to the ones that exist today, um, but same in its principle. And we first got a retail listing with Whole Foods Market uh, in London. Uh, and Rumi, you know, in kind of true lover of fashion, just hustled her way in there. And she she spent some time living in Spain. And coincidentally, the buyer, you know, didn't, she didn't have a meeting with this guy. Um, but he was Spanish. So they had, a, they had a, a connection and they just hit it off. Got a listing and generally sold about 12,000 units in the first week. Um, and that was scary because you're operating out of a kitchen and um, needed that immediate resource. So brought in all the family to help scale. And then we, and then she started to move into, you know, production facilities, et cetera. Um, but that really is where it started to snowball for the brand. And the real catalyst would be during, largely during the pandemic. Um, it sounds controversial, but that, that's a point in time where a lot of people working from home or on, or on furlough really engage with their own health um, through platforms on social media. So we saw a lot more engagement in our category at that point in time. And that was where, you know, the heights, the heights of um, sort of like the immediate rapid delivery businesses, you know, they were coming out and uh, sort of like the gorillas at the time and, and Wheezy and, and Gatier. So it was given that opportunity to get product into consumers' hands for those that couldn't go to stores. Um, and then as the lockdown phases were coming out, we saw a huge growth in our category, um, which was really exciting. And obviously then coupled with retail listings, it just made the product and brand more available. Um, and now and now it's just continuing to gather momentum. You know, we're not, we as a brand, but also the category is not slowing down. The, the consumer numbers are growing exponentially um, and we want to be that that brand of choice that the consumers go to, to to enjoy you know chocolate that just happens to be vegan yeah 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 well that's really interesting and and interesting to hear how the the kind of concept has sort of stayed the same in terms of putting health at, at the front of the agenda but actually the product solutions changed but I think that says a lot about kind of good brands really that you know fundamentally the problem you're trying to solve stays the same the mission's there but you know you can yeah. and you can try different solutions and obviously what well i mean we we probably discovered love raw in the pandemic I think about it, actually because we just started there was no recruitment today we knew we would be like just furloughed and bored so we just started reviewing loads of snap runs because it's what we're interested yeah. in and that's what this podcast yeah. came out of and um i remember um harry just ordered like a ton of stuff avocado oh, look good <laughs> all these are the kind of like there was just loads of businesses and we started selling interesting brands online. I can't remember yeah. all the names. So we just got loads of stuff and we were just trying it and uh, Love Raw kind of was, was, was one that we hit on that we really liked. But um but for people that maybe aren't familiar with the product, um like where can you where can you find it now? Where's the distribution? Because that's interesting to understand as a kind of a, a milestone in the journey. Yeah, I mean the UK market, which is obviously our home market, is one that we're most accessible within. So yeah, approximately eight and a half to 9,000 locations um, we can be found in across you know, independent health stores, uh, places like Holden and Barrett, uh, Tesco, you know, other supermarkets. So we're not, we're not too far away from consumers. 
um, you know, we'd like to, we obviously like to be accessible and obviously through, through our own website and other partner websites, um, or even rapid delivery businesses. So we're not, we're generally not too far away from consumers hands. Um, but we know there's so much to do that we want to become more and more available and, and, and over time we will, um, but you know, the, the product itself or the, the product range that we we've created. Once we launched the cream wafer bar, that's when things started to really happen for the brand. And now, you know, now our, our unique selling point is essentially taking those. We don't want to do, we don't want to do things that are too complicated or too complex. You know, we like to keep it simple with what we do. And really it, it's replicating those heritage classic products that exist in the category. Nice. Uh, and making our plant-based version of them, you know, while using those really superior ingredients uh, and making sure that quality and taste is, is what we stand for. Um, you know, by associating ourselves, um, to something that people are familiar with, um, in a category they, they may already shop within. Yeah. Allows us to be more accessible. You know, you really reduce that barrier to entry to, to consumers coming into love role. That's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Just on that point then, um, what, what is an unvegan vegan? That, that's a, a term that's, you know, <laughs> yeah. dropped up. It's a, it's a term that Remy and, and Manav coined a few years ago. And I guess really it was at a time before the term flexitarian was sort of widely used in people's vocabulary and understanding. Um, but essentially it, it defines a flexitarian consumer. Um, an unvegan vegan is, um, a consumer who is not overtly vegan, um, 24 seven, but is, is a consumer that really represents more of the society of today that will substitute animal-based proteins for more plant-based sustainable options. Um, and that's the consumer that we're trying to appeal to because they, they, they are growing very, very quickly. Uh, not just in the UK, but internationally as well. Interested. Yeah. Yeah. And then how does that kind of, um, strategy of basically keeping the quality of the product at the forefront of the shopper experience and the brand experience work and, and how is it working for Love Raw? Because that it's interesting you talk about, um, almost keeping the try and tested hero product concepts there as a theme, but actually making sure people can access them from a plant-based perspective. How's that kind of like, like you said, not making it too complex, how that's kind of just simple quality yeah. on replication working. Really, you know, really well for us. What I would say is an unvegan vegan is very critical on taste. Um, primarily because by virtue, they'll substitute sort of traditional, you know, animal-based proteins for more plant-based options, but they will revert back to those animal-based options, um, you know, that contain dairy, for instance. So if a consumer went to pick up one of our, you know, cream wafer bars and, and enjoyed it, but then went back to buy a Kinder Bueno, but preferred that because it tasted better. And really we'd, we'd probably lose that customer and we wouldn't maintain that loyalty. So that's why we want to make sure that we champion quality and taste um, to retain that customer long-term. Because if we don't match ourselves on at least taste and quality, uh, there's no real reason for people to buy our brand. Um, they'll just continue to buy the, the, the confectionery equivalents that they've enjoyed for you know, for many a time. Yeah. Um, but you know, that's not to say that, um, you know, vegan consumers are happy to compromise because they're not, you know, things have moved on so much over the, particularly over the past two or three years, um, 
we want to retain everybody that buys our brand because you know people shouldn't compromise on taste for something that's better for the environment yeah 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 that, that's really interesting um that leads nice on to my next question actually because that sort of piece around customer retention customer lifestyle management um it's very poignant isn't it and, pre- and a kind of pressing yeah. convenience because convenience channel is quite thick lots of opportunities to get in but quite difficult to maintain momentum if you're not addressing yeah. it with its own kind of needs as a channel just give us a bit of an insight into how you win in convenience because it's it's one of those channels isn't it that can make or break a new brand you know it's, it's got phenomenal opportunities but it's tricky isn't it very very tricky and it it's no different so to sort of the time I, I enjoyed at Grenade when we're at this sort of inception point of convenience. It, it's, a, it's an industry and, and category that's been largely dominated by the big brands for, for decades, um, you know, traditionally with, with big budgets. So it's easy to retain and win and brand awareness is there. So as a challenger brand, when you're entering particularly that category, it's it's important to pick your battles because it's not a an inexpensive channel to play in mm. and you know these retailers are obviously mindful of that themselves and you know if you don't have the budget to, to be everywhere which most people don't it's really important to just focus in sort of one area so where we where we try to enter the, the category um inconvenience ourselves we're quite we're quite fortunate that we can win in two categories really um one which we define as sort of healthier snacking um which in truth was one of the the pioneering projects that grenade was so successful in because they created and and defined that fixture and now you see many brands within it so because we're a premium product and we are a confectionery product the chocolate countline fixture is generally more price-led and it's hard to find anything above sort of one pound thirty really um, whereas that healthier snacking is more premium, more need state, and you can find, you know, protein bars, healthy crisps, nuts, seeds, etc. Um, so we've got the opportunity to position ourselves in here, drive success and outperform to then eventually migrate ourselves into the count lines fixture over time. Nice. Um, which really that that's where success will happen more because of the the frequency of shoppers buying in that area um, and, and visibility. But because we appeal to the chocolate world, we taste great, we look great, we're high quality. If a consumer bought us in the healthier snacking area, we've got a high chance of retaining that customer. Um, but clearly, by what I was saying earlier, we are a chocolate brand. We do want to prioritize positioning in, in confectionery. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a really interesting breakdown. Um, and just kind of leapfrogging from that into kind of another channel that often doesn't get as much attention as convenience and, and grocery, but has massive opportunities and lots of startup brands seem to successfully play in it uh, or have an aspiration to. Tell us a bit about the international development for Love Raw and, and just give us a window into some of the channel levers, the opportunities and the challenges for keeping customers, but also shoppers and, and, and consumers happy. Yeah, so the international role was a bit of a deja vu moment with the uh, first interview I had at Grenada around convenience. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was very new to me. And um, obviously, I've, I've done, U- I've done UK sales for sort of six years at that point in time. And um, I knew it very well. And, you know, you're comfortable and complacent. But to challenge yourself, you know, going into something completely different is, is what you need to do. 
Um, so we've been doing, in, I personally been doing international role for sort of around nine months now. Um, and it is challenging. And what, from experience traveling around now, it's, it's interesting seeing the UK uh, brand scene internationally, you know, who are the brands that are traveling overseas. Um, and unfortunately, there's, there's not that many um, when you look at our category in particular. Um, what is consistent from our perspective is zero compromise when it comes to taste and quality. Regardless of where you travel across the world, there's not one country or one individual that's prepared to compromise on that. Um, so, so long as you, we as a brand maintain that, we can win hearts and minds of shoppers everywhere across the world. There's just that point around availability. Yeah. Um, going back to a point I made earlier around the growth we saw coming out of the pandemic, there is a slowdown in that growth now, which largely is is owed to the fact that our availability isn't in line with consumer demand. So when we're seeing these unvegan vegan consumers growing in number, the touch points of where they can buy plant-based products isn't growing in line with that. Mm. And that's the same internationally. So we are we're seeing the same numbers of growth of flexitarians or unvegan vegans. Um, but there's a job to do around availability in making sure the product is front and center of these retail stores. Um, but what's really interesting everywhere you go across the world is people's mindset is focused around environmental sustainability factors. And when, when you're a plant-based brand, that really is your breeding ground. You know, you, sh you should live that mantra because that's what you're championing. And so we as a brand fit really well within that wider society agenda. Um, and the fact that we're B Corp as well is a real stamp of approval of that. Um, so we've got, we've got a great opportunity to, to, to really champion that category overseas as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. Now, I guess it comes back to your initial point around making sure that the, uh, the brand mission is always kept to, even if the solution changes or the channel changes, you've got to really know what are you looking to solve as a fundamental problem, which like I say, it's about wellbeing, isn't it? Healthy living, yeah. healthy planet. That's, that's interesting. Um, just taking it back to your career, Liam, um, I think people will be interested to, to understand this. You've obviously like really benefited from big corporate experience, Tesco's or a subset of them moving into, mm -hmm. you know, um, a, basically a rocket ship like Grenade that's kind of taken off the vinyl category and now another disruptor. Um, you must have had some good mentors. Just give us an insight into which sales leaders have inspired you to, to kind of hone your craft as a salesperson. Within that, any resources, books you'd recommend, podcast talks, obviously FMCG would cut podcasts. Would, 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 yeah. But anything else that you recommend look into for their own personal development when it comes to kind of crafting their career as a sales professional or, or commercial marketing, whatever it is that's about developing that customer solution. Yeah, I think my, it seems like sales mentors are leaders. Um, there's one that really stands out. You know, you always look at key individuals along your career path that have really made a difference or provided yeah. you that opportunity. Um, and one, what you know, one individual that I probably still need to thank actually at some stage um, would be when I first moved into that Nutricenter role. Um, lady, lady called Jabesu. I'm sure she she won't mind me naming naming her. Um, but she was my sort of manager at the time and a real mentor in that commercial element. And um, 
you know, you go from sort of selling to consumers to then yeah. buying for category, it's completely different. Yeah. Um, you're a bit of a rabbit in the headlights at times, so like, oh, you know, crap, you know, you need to upskill yourself quickly. Um, so she'd be one that I'd say gave me that real opportunity to move into this um, sort of sales role, essentially, because without that, I wouldn't have been able to move into the role I had a grenade or be where I am. Um, but notwithstanding that, I, I try to keep my mentors quite close to home because I think I'm surrounded. I always want to surround myself with great people um, because surrounding yourself with great people, you'll learn. Um, you know, you never want to be complacent and and stagnate because things move on. And if you're you know if you're not moving with it, um, you know you won't develop. So you know, Alan and Juliet at Grenade fantastic mentors you know two really inspirational founders um you know not that kind of don't want to say like rags to riches but you know that that small pot of money they started with to, to where they are today is you know hugely inspirational so having the opportunity to work with those guys was was fantastic um even for my role you know somebody like uh a category manager um a guy called mike who I used to work with at grenade you know being able to learn that side of sales was really important for me and gave me a real appreciation for that real skill set, which is so hard. And I think, you know, when you're in a challenger brand and you're immersed into you know, low resource, but surrounded by great people, you've got the opportunity to absorb so much information. So, you, you know, you, you, you appreciation for marketing uh, or category or operations or finance, you know, you've got a sound understanding of everything. Um, and then moving across to, to Love Raw, you know, you can't help but be inspired by Remy and Manark in terms of what they've achieved. Um, you know, again, two great individuals. So they collectively they would be my my mentors um and my sort of inspiration to, you know, anything in reality is possible so long as you work hard. Um and you're prepared to put the time and an effort. Um and then in terms of sort of like literature and sort of written um media that would really it's really important um there's a good book called sort of like how brands grow um and it it's a really interesting book to show how you can win consumers hearts and minds uh around sort of like mental availability and sort of physical availability um but it gives you an indication of that progress so it's a really good book for anybody to read because although it will teach you a lot. It'll give you an insight into sort of the consumer mindset and and how you as a brand can can align to that. Nice, yeah, yeah. No, that's that's really insightful. Um, we'll make sure we drop a link to to that resource for, for people in the comments to have a look at. But uh, look, I'm, I'm just aware of time for now. We've got uh, you know one minute thirty left. And um, just very quickly for those that are listening, they're enjoying this. Uh, where can people find you? I love raw. Yeah, well, no, you, you yourself kind of on, on socials or lover on socials, just so they can follow the story, really. Yeah, I mean, I'm largely I'm socially anonymous and I have been, I, I always have been. Um, my biggest platform, which people <laughs> people always joke about, is, you know, I'm, I'm very, uh, um, very much up there on LinkedIn. So, yeah, mostly I can be found on there um, at least a few posts a week. So, if you're interested in sort of me and my career and what I'm up to, then uh, you can always follow me on there and, and, and catch the latest. Sound. Well, look, thanks so much for coming on the show, Liam. It's been an absolute blast. Really enjoyed it. If you listened, if you've enjoyed, please do reach out. Thank Liam for his time. More importantly, go and check out Love Raw. It's a great product. You'll love it. 
Thank you very much and we'll see you soon.